Genre. everyone, and welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing Rocket Raccoon from the comic book miniseries Rocket Raccoon. Joining me for the discussion is returning guest and Protagonist Podcast producer, Andrew Dorowski. Welcome, Andrew. It's weird to call you a guest because you're just always here. Right. But uh, yes, I'm here. Yeah, I'm not always like the main other person in the conversation, but you're always here. Mm hmm. Uh, we are talking about Rocket from the four-issue miniseries Rocket Raccoon that was written by Bill Mantlo and penciled by Mike Mignola. And it was published by Marvel Comics in 1985. And it tells the story of Rocket stopping a war between Yeah, Joseph, summarize the story. As humans are struggling with mental health crises that are in part brought on, brought on by the capitalist uh, systems that they are in no part responsible for. I I don't know if I read that particular factor. Well, they're, they're, the, the doctors that were helping their mental health issues were definitely pulled back because they ran out of funding. Well, yes, there's that factor. Yeah. But, but, I mean, we're generations removed from that. And so at this point, it's, I, I think as they described it, congenital lun- <laughs> lunacy. Yes. Uh, well, well there's... I'm just going to say it here. There are some, I think, good intentions in some of the representations (laughs) and issues that the series wants to tackle. But looking backwards almost 40 years now, there is perhaps some word choice and language that would not be used today to address mental health in particular, I think, is where this series really kind of raises some eyebrows. Yes. When it comes to mental health, this is not a great text. Yeah, uh, there's a group of all the humans are referred to as the loonies, and uh, it is just kind of generic mental health episode is what they seem to be struggling with. Like, and and as you said, written in the 80s, this is, you know, like straitjacket asylum mm-hmm. kind of mental health approach. Yes. Where with the idea of um, curing it through external influence, like like medication cure kind of concept yes but uh, i mean there is also no where it it talks about the the uh, well the cure is trying to help balance things that are imbalanced so there's like the implication that there does need to be some re- you know recognition of chemical imbalances mm-hmm. uh and, and in some ways but uh it's done both simultaneously like, too metaphorical to really be applicable to real world aids for mental health, but also not metaphorical enough to not kind of cringe, cringe and wince at some of the ways it gets portrayed. Yeah. And as, uh, so I think what we need to do is really just take this as uh, a, a population that has been isolated due to a medical condition and not a mental health condition. Yeah. And if I think if we treat it that way and we say, okay, the the funding got cut off, they were not able to cure this medical ailment, then we're in we're in a more comfortable territory. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, with like you said, with thirty five years of mental health advancement. Yeah. And and quite a bit of advancement in the discussion of mental health. Yes. All right. So some trivia about this. Rocket Raccoon is by now a fairly well-known Marvel comic book character featured prominently in Guardians of the Galaxy films and also uh, Avengers, which ones? Endgame and Infinity War are the mm-hmm. ones that Rocket yeah, showed up you in. You know, the, the biggest movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, prominent enough now that I would say it is a character that just as intellectual property is worth hundreds of millions of dollars for Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, well, they could... Disney, Disney used him as an anchor for a massive rebrand of one of their most popular rides at Disneyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, created one of the best uh, animatronics that Disneyland uses mm-hmm. uh, with, with uh, Rocket Raccoon introducing the new Guardians of the Galaxy version of the Tower of Terror. They could certainly move some merch with Rocket Raccoon at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, but when this miniseries came out, Rocket Raccoon did not have that reach. <laughs> I will just say so. Rocket <laughs> Raccoon was created by Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen uh, before this miniseries. Uh, the character had appeared in one issue of Marvel, uh, a series called Marvel Preview, which was a back, black and white uh, kind of like test run for some ideas at times uh, and also test run for artists and writers, I think often. Uh, and then Rocket had also appeared in one issue of The Incredible Hulk written by Bill Mantlo. So Bill Mantlo was kind of like shepherding uh, Rocket mm-hmm. into the Marvel Universe after this miniseries. So there's those two appearances in this four issue miniseries. He would appear in one issue of Quasar and three issues of the sensational uh, She-Hulk. And in total, Rocket Raccoon appeared in 10 issues of Marvel Comics between 1985 and 2005. That's it. Mm-hmm. 10 total issues. For, yeah, 20 years. 30 years. Uh, 95, no. 2005. Yeah, two, yeah, yeah just, two, just, just 20. Just 20 years, yeah. Sorry, 20 years. Uh, I, I wrote down 30 in my notes. But yeah, you're right, it's 20 years. So 20 years, the character, 10 total appearances in all of Marvel continuity. Then Marvel does a cosmic relaunch in the early 2000s, right around 2005, right, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I, I think I think usually 2008 is like the what's considered like the linchpin of it. Mm-hmm. At least in in my mind it is and and this is a big deal for me. I was buying a lot of these comics. This is I, one of your I favorite eras stuff. of comics, like one of your favorite storylines in general mm-hmm. and like sides of, you know, a, a point in time where you're, you're buying a lot of a specific like a section of the Marvel universe. And, it, and for people who don't buy a lot of comics, Marvel will actively market like here's the X-Men line of comics. Here's the mm-hmm. Avengers line of comics. Here's our cosmic line of comics in this case, which and, had been neglected for a while. And now they're yeah. saying we're going to do a big push on the cosmic line. Yeah, this was this was like the big like, OK, Marvel Cosmic. We have a bunch of weird, random characters that have been published off and on for ever. And we're going to try and do some things with some of these. And this, I mean, is maybe some of the biggest cosmic stuff since Thanos and in the Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, no, you know, oh, kind definitely. Of stuff. Uh, yeah, like you had Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity War. That was all early 90s and then nothing had much had been done with the cosmic side of marvel right and and so there was a really um extensive you know effort made in this area they had a uh a, a crossover series which i mean it, it was like the launching off point um with annihilation mm-hmm. was like the big starting point and then you had a follow-up with annihilation conquest and and that's where you got nova and guardians of the galaxies really kicked off again and so Marvel had had a title called Guardians of the Galaxy, which is not what we know of as like the film franchise Guardians of the Galaxy right. at all. There's, there's uh, like that a 1980s Guardians. Yeah, which is like set in centuries in the future of the Marvel Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, while some of the characters have some shared appearances and even names, of some of the characters that end up in the film versions, it's not Star-Lord and Rocket and Gamora. That is a that, version of Guardians of the Galaxy that's going to be coming out in the early 2000s. Yeah, like 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 2008 2010 mm-hmm. um and and that's this part, part of this cosmic re uh relaunch or refocus by marvel and that's where rocket raccoon gets pulled into the guardians of the galaxies in that era um so rocket becomes a key part of the re- reimagined guardians of the galaxy team uh and that's the group that is now a billion dollar film franchise for marvel mm-hmm. um and rocket has been featured in in the marvel publishing side uh in those series, basically nonstop since 2008, uh, anything cosmic is likely to touch on Rocket or include Rocket in some way. But he's mm-hmm. also had a solo series and a team up book with Groot, um, as well as just a, a much more prominent and regular presence uh, in Marvel Comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's I mean, X-Men characters know know who Rocket Raccoon is. Avengers characters know who Rocket Raccoon is, though. They will reference it um, mm-hmm. mu- much more than they used to. And the name Rocket Raccoon is inspired by a Beatles song, Rocky Raccoon. Um, and I will just say this miniseries is a strange intertextual mix. <laughs> with with a few things from that. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely referencing some of the, the Beatles song, but a lot of other things. Doom, Star Wars, like some explicit, like mm-hmm. we're just borrowing this. It's I I would not at all call this a superhero comic. It is definitely if you're going to like pin it on something, a sci-fi comic. Mm-hmm. 
because there's there's no superhero ness to this, no superhero tropes as as we understand them. Yeah. Um, so Rocket has appeared in many Marvel animated series, but mostly the ones from the last, uh, you know, 15 years. Uh, mm-hmm. Rocket has more likely to show up in. I don't think he showed up in anything before those. Um, I'd be very surprised. Several films from Marvel Studios, one Christmas special uh, in the film. The character is voiced by Bradley Cooper, and a lot of the uh, motion capture is done by James Gunn's brother. Uh, what's the name of the brother? All of a sudden I'm blanking on him. Oh, he's oh. in Gilmore Girls. Uh <laughs> He's 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 Kirk. Yeah, in, in he, he's Girls. in there Sean. as a human. Sean, Sean Gunn uh, does a lot of the motion cap stuff on set for um, for Rocket because you're not going to get Bradley Cooper to come in and crawl around in a ping pong suit. <laughs> <laughs> but Sean Gunn's like, sure, brother. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 Sean Gunn does some ad living on set for Rocket oh, yeah? Raccoon. So so he's part of, you know, writing Rocket Raccoon. OK, is is doing his performance because he's doing all the lines and. And, and in saying like Sean Gunn will just say yes, brother, like he is like he's been an actor for a very long time. He's a very established as mm-hmm. a character actor. Um, so uh, let's see. The, the artist of this miniseries is Mike Mignola, uh, most famous as the creator of Hellboy. This is very early in his comic book career. Um, I believe I saw that this is his first interior pencil work for anything. Wow. Um, so he just done covers. And he uh, he done inking. He was inking. Okay. Yeah. Um, So, but his first interior pencil work. Uh, And so, yeah, I mean, that's for the uh, shape of the comic book industry. This is like ground zero (laughs) for this. And also like Keith Giffen was Rocket's uh, co-creator with uh, Bill Mantlo. He is a prolific writer and artist still working with Marvel and DC. Mm -hmm. Uh, Primarily known for his work at DC and his pretty long run uh with a version of the justice league that's called justice league international um which had a very specific comedic tone that stands apart from a lot of like the grim and gritty uh superhero era (laughs) um is there anything that bill mantlo would be known for okay so i'm gonna tell a little bit about bill the bill mantlo and there's some unfortunate sadness with this Mm. um so bill mantlo uh he um was a a hugely prolific writer at Marvel in the in the 80s. Um this is an era where there had been a lot of uh shipping delays as um creators struggled to stay on schedule. I know that's something that never plagues modern comic book publishing. Uh but the editor in chief had ordered that um series get uh fill in issues ready to go that could just be slid in that had to be like standalone stories that are like a pause and whatever action happens to be going on. And the characters has something. And Bill Mantlo started out as writing a lot of those fill in issues. So he actually has credits on almost every Marvel title. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he did so many of those fill in issues uh, in, in this era. Uh, and then he also did, um, this is a period where Marvel started to license some toy properties like ROM and the space Knights and Micronauts. And he was the main creator uh, adapting a lot of those licensed properties. Now, as he is going to reach a point uh, in working with, he does some work for DC, but not a lot, but with Marvel where just creative editor relationships start to get strained, which is an unfortunately uh, common refrain. And he's going to start looking for another job. And he decides to go to law school and become a public defender uh, in New York. Uh, And I was not expecting that. You can sense some social consciousness in this story, which we'll get to. It has some strangeness, but you can definitely see that he's, he's working through some social concerns in this mm-hmm. story. Um, however, in 1991, he's the victim of a hit and run accident. And uh, I, he went into a coma. And from what I've read, he never re- recovered full cognitive abilities. And he is still needing round the clock institutional health care. Um, and when Marvel was making the first Guardians of the Galaxy film, this his brother wrote an article uh, that's in Hollywood Reporter. Uh, that said uh, they negotiated a compensation package for using rocket in the film. And his brother says that's that package is enough to ensure that he's going to have the healthcare he needs for the rest of his life. Um, and Marvel that, has arranged uh, private screenings for him of any of the movies that have his characters in them. Um, and you can f- like, if you Google him, you'll see like pictures of him, like uh, like the I, the very first one that came up was him like smiling clearly in like a a, a care center uh, mm-hmm. on a bed, but he's holding a Marvel omnibus that had and it's open to pages of his work, and he's smiling as he holds it up. This is, I I did not know any of that, 
and people often talk about and 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 largely i agree with the fact that the comic book writers and artists are not getting enough compensation for their contributions to you know the biggest blockbusters that have ever been yeah this does sound like they've probably done more for him than than the average able-bodied writer and artist yeah and i have no like again this is a hollywood reporter article where his brother Mm -hmm. just uh, he does not give any dollar amounts i do not know what it was but he says explicitly this is going to be enough for him to have the health care he needs for the rest of his life and this sounds like they're taking care of somebody Mm -hmm. in in a way that we have you know many writers and artists who say yeah i gotta i gotta check for a couple thousand and and like uh several have said like because um early on in marvel uh films they would often like if they had a crowd scene on asgard they'd bring in some people who did a lot of thor work to be in the background uh you know and, and sit around the table for a cameo and a lot of them have said like i get more money when i get a residual check for my cameo than mm-hmm. i got paid for writing the story that this blockbuster film is based on yeah. uh <laughs> but but knowing about this one it makes me feel a, a better in some way and i i don't know how to parse all of that mm-hmm. but I Especially like, when we, I mean, we're going to talk about some of the themes of this, which are pretty critical of healthcare systems. I will say mm-hmm. <laughs> in this Rocket Raccoon story, and when you find out what happened to him, it's like, like I read the whole mini series, and I remembered knowing that Bill Mantlo had had a hit and run accident. I didn't know he was still alive and was still needing care. Um, and, but when I read all that, it like reframed some of what I had just read in the mini series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's uh, that does change some of what what's going on here. Um, and it, oh, I mean, I know that's a, like a sad note. It is just tragic. It's, it's a tragedy mm-hmm. <laughs> that, uh, that, he, you know, since 1991, uh, he's, he's needed that, that constant care, mm-hmm. but it, it does feel good to know that he has gotten enough compensation or will get enough compensation, you know, to ensure that he always has the care that he needs. Mm-hmm. I like that part feels heartwarming. Yes, I agree. Well, onto uh, a summary of this, which I will say up front, it's a little tricky to summarize <laughs> this story. Um, I may uh, just step back and do a little bit on the world that we find out has been created here. Uh, this is a world where um, there is a can group I, can of- I Can I just say, this yeah. story does make a lot more sense when you have that context, which doesn't come until like the third issue of this four-issue series. Like- by the time I'm like, I read the last two issues. And I was like, okay, I get it. And I retroactively, I can piece together everything that's been going on. It mm-hmm. felt a little bit like the first two issues were written before the total concept had come together. And, yes. Or, or um, they just couldn't find a way to get the exposition in. But it would have been really helpful to have this context. And it's strange because there, this is an exposition heavy series. Um well, it's, it's, it's a 1980s comic book, yeah, so there's a lot of extra text. Characters say straight up what they're feeling. Uh, they explain in uh, like social dynamics um, explicitly to no one, <laughs> which, which mm-hmm. again is pretty standard for 1980s comics. And the first uh, like page and a half to two pages of uh, like issues two, three, and four like recaps what's happened so far, mm-hmm. which and- actually did end up being helpful. <laughs> me to try and like okay and and <laughs> this is uh, the period in comics where there was still narration alongside all of the action which does not happen anymore yeah and so, um, you, so you would have these narration boxes you know explaining some of what's going on uh, in the scene yeah uh the and some of this is going to be found throughout the series but i'll just say like at the beginning this is in a quadrant of space called the keystone quadrant which yes is a reference to the keystone cops for no reason uh <laughs> That is just sort of like there's no in narrative in universe narrative reason that the sector of space knows about the Keystone Cops. It just mm-hmm. is. Uh, and the uh, on this planet, there are humans that are struggling with mental health concerns. It is vague and generic, um, but they are called loonies. Again, not great. awkward. <laughs> uh, the world is called Half World, uh, and on this world, there are anthropomorphic animals that are there to help the humans and I, several of these or the primary way that they do this is by making the humans toys in conjunction with a group of robots that simultaneously take care of 
various in like structural needs of the planet, uh, but is also building a giant spaceship that no one knows why. A giant humanoid looking spaceship. Mm-hmm. And I think they they suggest that the animals design toys and then the robots mass produce them, manufacture them. Yeah. And so we 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 and Rocket is um and a, a raccoon looking uh but intelligent uh creature that is in this instance not necessarily the sarcastic wisecracking uh self-centered version that we get in the films but is a fairly earnest uh creature that wants to care for the humanoids that are around him and and he is uh the top law enforcement for half world yes sometimes called ranger rocket mm-hmm. sometimes called rocket raccoon and once or twice called rocky i believe in reference to the Beatles song yep um so that's the world that we have and there are two warring tor- toy toy companies uh that want to get a bigger market share of creating toys for the humans it's not clear until much later in the series that the humans pay for any toys that they're given with animal crackers, and which for some only reason, they can make, which only humans can make. And that yeah, has significance to these toy companies. They want more animal crackers, even though the first issue is called animal crackers. Uh, it's not really clear that that's part of the economic system. Mm-hmm. And even then it feels like it's uh, the significance of that is never quite explicit uh, other than it, if it's maybe a commentary about like the, the actual like made up value of money. <laughs> on earth that we've we've just labeled dollars as having significance and that's it yeah i'd say the animal crackers bit is is quite small and kind of glossed over very quickly it's like yes. okay we, like there is a there's there's an exchange that does happen and so theoretically it feels like they gain value by having more market share the the toy company thing is definitely some explicit commentary about capitalism but then it's like oh there needs to be money involved Ugh. <laughs> i didn't really include money in my economic system here the, the humans <laughs> they make animal crackers yeah all right, so let's get into what we actually see on the page. So, an iguana scientist or engineer, it turns out, I think they're called a toy designer. Or, uh, in the toy end. Smith. Toy Smith, that's what it is, is perfecting a new design when a clown robot breaks in and shoots him. Eventually, the clown is stopped, and Lord Divine is informed of the attack uh, on his toy maker. Divine, who I believe is supposed to be a snake with arms and legs, but could be another kind of reptile. Um, he, he has sibilant S's yes, in all of Which his makes te- me definitely scream snake. <laughs> Um, he knows that his rival toy maker, Judson Jakes, is responsible for this attack because Judson Jakes makes clown ro- toys. Yeah, cl- clown robots as well as, you know, that's part of his toy manufacture. Yeah. Now we cut to Rocket Raccoon, who's trying to translate the half-world Bible. His girlfriend, Lila, is how I'm going to pronounce this. Is that how you pronounce it, Andrew? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Lila is, Lila is an otter. And for the purpose of this miniseries, the most desirable creature in the universe. <laughs> what you say? But Joseph, uh, it's because she's set to inherit the Judson, the the what, mayhem mechanics toy factory, which Judson Jakes is somehow running, even though mm-hmm. she's supposed to inherit it. Yeah. Whoa. Hey, spoilers. Okay. So Lila wants Rocket to just relax and stop trying to translate the Bible. His pal Wal Russ, a walrus, like W A L space <laughs> R U S S. Yep. <laughs> is uh is also there and walrus i'm not going to touch on it much but he has bionic tusks uh he can put into his mouth and act as arms and do uh, have to be well they do have to be installed by a robotic arm that he has in in his chest pack Mm -hmm. not a backpack a chest chest pack um okay then there are a group of humans that arrive. They're dressed like the Keystone Cops, and they tell Rocket that the toy maker has been killed. Rocket and friends travel to a compound that is called Cuckoo's Nest, where he stops at a church and sees Ludies read from the Half-World Bible in a line. I'm just going to describe what they do. So each person uses their teeth to tie the straitjacket of the person in front of them, but the last person in line panics because they're condemned to be uncommitted. It's yep. strange, but a lot of time is taken on it. Uh, <laughs> Rocket then goes and speaks to Divine, which is spelled D-Y-V-Y-N-E, if you're wondering. Mm-hmm. Um, and Divine tells Rocket to go and confront Judson Jakes for killing his toy maker. Also, Divine flirts with Lila and reveals to readers that Judson Jakes is Lila's legal guardian. But Judson Jakes also killed Lila's parents to take over their toy company, which technically Lila 
owns slash will inherit, but Justin Jakes is running until such a time as she inherits it. She is presented as a full adult. I do not know why she wouldn't be running the company already. Why has she not inherited it? Yes. Uh, So... Uh, but that was just to the readers. Uh, it, it's implied that Lila does not know, and Rocket does do not know that uh, Judson killed Lila's parents. Turns out it won't actually be an important plot point. But... Also, none of this happened in any other comic books or anything like that. This yes. is all. This is the only place where any of this is coming from. Yeah, Rocket and Wall go off to confront Judson in terms of world building. Oh no, wait, uh, I kind of covered a lot of this, so I put in some notes about world building, but mm-hmm. we covered that at the top. Um, the Loonies uh, are preparing for a day of masquerade when everyone can dress as whoever they want to be. A turtle named Uncle Pico, a P Y K O, I'm going to mm-hmm. say Pico, sneaks in and steals the Half World Bible, which contains the wisdom of the shrinks is what we're told. Uh, he claims to have secret knowledge from his stud- previous studies of the book. Um, and he also says that he works for Judson Jakes. Lila realizes the Bible has been stolen, goes after the turtle, but she is kidnapped. We don't know by whom yet. Rocket and Wall's ship is attacked as it approaches, approaches the, Judson's toy. What, the, the Rack and Ruin? Yes. <laughs> that, that's the name of a ship. Uh, and they're approaching Judson's toy factory. Rocket faces off against the Psycho Circus. Uh, Rocket is appalled that instead of making toys to amuse the loonies, Judson Jakes is manufacturing insane armies. Side note, um, Justin Jakes is a mole who calls himself the pundit of pleasure. I don't know what that phrase is supposed to mean, <laughs> but he says it. Justin announces. I, I love so much of the dialogue in this, uh, in the narration boxes. I think, it, it, I think particularly Judson Jakes. Yeah. Uh, Judson announces his plan to corner the toy market and marry Lila. So at this point, Lila is in a relationship with Rocket, but uh, Divine wants to marry Lila and Judson Jakes, who killed Lila's pa- pa- parents, wants to marry Lila. The turtle Uncle Pico so he shows... he can run the toy factory that he is already running. Yes. The <laughs> turtle Uncle Pico shows up and stops the fight. He holds the patent on the Psycho Circus toys, and he does not want to see them destroyed. <laughs> That's literally the explanation for why he stops this fight. He also monologues and explains that everyone is in love with Lila because she will inherit the toy company, but Lila is in love with Rocket, and he reveals that Lord Divine is the one who kidnapped Lila because he plans to marry her. Well, he didn't actually kidnap Lila himself. He had uh, a rabbit named Black Jack O'Hare. Black Jack O'Hare. Um, and, and his bunny brigade. <laughs> Black Jack O'Hare, the bunny brigade. <laughs> oh... Yeah, Blackjack is a is a, a great character. It did remind me of Bucky O'Hare, uh, who mm-hmm. is uh, um. Let's see, when did Bucky O'Hare come out? Uh, nineteen eighty four is when Bucky O'Hare first appears. That feels a little, a little close. Created by Larry Hama, who did a lot of Marvel work. Um. Uh, so but it's not. I, I would guess Bill Mantlo had encountered. Uh, and worked with Larry Hama at some point just because of the time that uh, he did he mean for Blackjack to be Bucky I don't know uh, so Larry Hama is most known for the G.I. Joe comic book series which uh, establishes basically all the if you think of G.I. Joe and you think of any lore it's Larry Hama uh, mm-hmm. but he also did some other stuff uh, with Wolverine uh, and Bucky O'Hare um, as I look at Bucky O'Hare it, it, there's definitely some overlap. There's there's some overlap, um, but it's also like okay, it's definitely distinct. So it could just be a matter that I mean, maybe he wanted it to be Bucky, and, and then I mean, if you're someone said no, a rabbit character, the name, the last name O'Hare must be tempting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I can't imagine that this is an accident. I have to assume that somebody said no, it can't be Bucky. We're going to use him for something else. Mm-hmm. or this doesn't fit so you're gonna have well, to because because bucky o'hare else. doesn't end up being a marvel product there's also that mm-hmm. um, all right so anyway uh rocket uh, uh issue number two called the mask of the red breath rocket is trying to find lila as the loonies begin their masquerade uh a creature called a draculaar mm-hmm. d-r-a-k-i-l-l-a-r which is a vampiric bat and also a robot killer clown attack rocket. Lila's kidnapper is Blackjack O'Hare. And Blackjack is watching from inside of a parade float where he's keeping Lila captive. When Divine contacts Blackjack for an update about whether Rocket has been killed or not, Blackjack announces that maybe he will just marry Lila to inherit her family's toy company. 
<laughs> when we got to that one, I'm like, I didn't see this twist coming. <laughs> I should have. Uh, Divine summons the last creation of his toy smith, uh, the one that was killed at the beginning of the first issue, which is a red mist. It's not clear how this was supposed to be a toy. I have no idea. And there's lots of language about this red mist just being bad breath and halitosis. <laughs> Except it dissolves things. Yes. And he so orders it, it, it. smells bad, but it, it smells will, like bad breath. Morning it will breath. erase something from existence. Yes. And they are a little vague on what being erased from existence means other than it disappears from the comic book panel. Um, as he does this, the language that's used in the panel is curling from the vents in the floor. It wafts a writhing halitosis haze, reeking of unbrushed teeth. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, so he summons this uh, toy from his toy maker <laughs> and uh, orders it to go to the masquerade. Rocket defeats the clown and the bat thing and reunites with Wall. Judson Jakes is angry that his chief toy maker, Uncle Pico, is not making war toys, but is instead studying the Bible. Blackjack takes Lila <laughs> into the weird lo- sentence to say. <laughs> yep. This hey. ro- robotic turtle is spending too much time studying the Bible. <laughs> I'm just describing the plot here, Andrew. <laughs> Well, okay. Can I go ahead and point out? Because I think this is around the time when they make evident. So the the Bible, the Half World Bible, is the ship's log from the shrink ship, which was called the Gideon. So this is the Gideon's Bible, which is in and of itself a reference to the Beatles song, mm-hmm. because Gideon's Bible at a hotel is is part of that, that song. Yeah, and so there's a lot like the like they insist on calling this a Bible. Uh huh. And I think it's because of that. So they yeah. could say, well, it's the Bible. It's from, the Gideon's Bible. It's the Gideon's Bible. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right on that. Um, so uh, let's see. Where was I at in here? Okay. Uh, Blackjack takes Lila into the Looney's masquerade and Rocket follows them. The Red Mist arrives and erases any human being it touches. It also, I'm just going to note it, destroys one of Rocket's basically magical roller skates that he's been wearing his, his rocket skates his, his rocket skates his rocket boot that just act as magical propulsion <laughs> defying all physics uh this was an era where rocket was not the only superhero to be wearing roller skates i believe dazzler of the x-men is going to be featured wearing roller skates and also notably iron man is going to have retractable roller skates in his in his armor for a little while in the 80s um but in the case of iron man there's a practical reason do you know this andrew is it so that he can skate? It uh, charges up his battery as the wheels turn. Ah. <laughs> yes. So not only movement, but also <laughs> it's just electromagnetic <laughs> yep. force recharging his <laughs> his battery. Yeah. Okay. So the red mist arrives, erases anything that it touches. Divine uh, has also sent killer clowns on vacuum sleds. It's very important they're on vacuum sleds. Just wait for it. Uh, Wall is going to rescue Lila. Lila is going to convince Blackjack to join her and Rocket. So Blackjack is now going to become one of the good guys, and he's going to lead the vacuum sleds into the red mist, and they're going to suck up all the red mist. But then the vacuum sleds will disappear because they've touched the red mist, but also the red mist will stay gone. Yes. And anything that the red mist had touched reappears. So any of those humans that we saw disappear. Except the vacuum sleds. Yeah. And the red mist itself. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, that's the end of issue number two. Issue number three, the Book of Revelations. Rocket, Wall, Lila, and Blackjack are being pursued by Divine's forces. They abandon their ship and dive into a crater while letting their rocket be de- their, their ship be destroyed, hoping that they'll be believed to be dead. Blackjack did, summons... Now, hang on. Did you appreciate the robot autopilot mm-hmm. <laughs> complaining about his lot in life to be destroyed? It was good. A single panel. Of a robot, oh, no. like they say, activate the autopilot, and they cut to a robot in the pilot's chair, and then, and he says something about like, I am here just to be destroyed. I hate this, <laughs> and <laughs> and I was like, that is a great little panel of just the weirdest insert. <laughs> you didn't have to do anything, but instead uh, you did this gag. <laughs> Uh, so they, they jump into this tunnel and then Blackjack's going to summon the gigantic wild worms of Halfworld that are going to carry them through underground tunnels as uh, Divine's forces bomb the crater. Now, Divine and Judson, the warring toy makers, are going to agree to work together to make sure Rocket and Lila are dead because they have not found any bodies yet. Rocket and pals visit a, and I'm not kidding here, a cantina filled with unexpected creatures. 
and in this cantina, they run into Uncle Pico, who says that if they make him the chief toy smith of the entire quadrant, he will end this war. And at first, it sounds like he's grasping for power, and then he's going to reveal, never mind. <laughs> that is not my plan. <laughs> because he has deciphered the Bible, and it reveals that the humans... Uh, uh, that the that the shrinks that we the, the Bible is referencing were essentially human psychiatrists or uh, yeah, again humanoid. These aren't supposed to be humans from Earth. They're just human creatures in this other mm-hmm. quadrant of space um, that had found a habitable world to house their patients, those who had been deemed hopelessly insane by the culture at large. Uh, but these doctors hoped to cure them. After years of running this experiment on this planet and trying to find a cure, the psychiatrists received word that they had lost funding. And they had to return home. This is actually how it's described. It's not yep. even put into any other kind they of They lost funding. So they set up a wall around the sector of space to protect their patients and leave them in the care of the robots. Now, the robot's AI is going to get bombarded by radiation and actually like mutate and advance and get bored of caring for illogical humans. Uh, so the robots are going to experiment on animals of the planet so that the animals will care for the humans. Yes, instead of just being pets. They will now be caretakers. And the robots are now building a spaceship to escape the squadron of space. It seems no one's 100% sure why they're building a giant robot or a spaceship. Blackjack mm-hmm. tries to backstab this group. But Uncle Pico's shell is full of weapons and Rocket and Pico now escape. So now Blackjack's out and Pico's in mm-hmm. <laughs> to, to the good guys. Uh, Rocket and friends head or reach the head robot, which is a giant robot head. <laughs> and Pico reveals that his study of the Bible has revealed the best tools and toys to provide therapy to the loonies to help them progress and uh, leave kind of the mental instability behind that they've been experiencing. So his goal in being named like the chief toy maker of the entire quadrant is to design something to help all the loonies. Uh, Therapeutic tools. Yes. And so the robots are going to mass produce these. And so the robots begin to make them and it turns out to be. Hang on. In order to do that, he had to have Rocket Raccoon feed the Gideon's Bible to the robot head so it could process the information and design and and produce the toy that would raise the question. Like, like a major plot point is that no one could read the Bible. Could they have just shoved the Bible into the robot head this At any time? point. Yeah. Yes, but nobody but knew also, that. It is made explicit in the text that Pico has like taken the next step that the human shrink or the human shrinks never could. So he's read their logs, but then also figured out something that they never could to help the loonies. But just feeding the Bible to the head allows the mass production of these helmets that are going to help the loonies. And so maybe it was just the evolution of generations of robots that was necessary. Not clear. Not clear here. Uh, (laughs) There's maybe a little hole in the logic here at this point. So episode (laughs) or issue number four, the age of enlightenment. Rocket, Lila, Wall, and Uncle Pico are traveling, selling helmets as the Wonder Toy. And like they're being presented as like snake oil salesmen. They're in an old timey cart with mm-hmm. signs on the side. They got to do a little like Punch and Judy show to make you, the loonies want to use these helmets. But they are also just giving them away, not charging the humans. They're just trying to really drum up interest so they can give them away. Yes. And these are called the Wonder Toys. And they actually seem to help the humans. The helmets are providing physical and psychological balance to the humans mean like physical meaning like something's actually changing in the chemistry of their brains that Mm -hmm. was imbalanced it's implied but also giving them essentially instant psychological therapy (laughs) to help them process things uh and and so the humans are becoming like fully functional Mm -hmm. Uh, but just now divine and judson are going to attack working together again uh, at this point so the robots and the cured humans are going to come and fight alongside rocket to save the planet from Divine and Judson, the toy makers. So the humans, uh, eventually they're going to win. Now, they're, they're, you know, just I'm going to skip a bunch of, and uh, Rocket, humans, and robots fighting together stop Divine and Judson. And now the humans are going to ask Rocket to stay on the planet. But Rocket says, this is now a healthy human world. The robots and animals were put here to support the mentally ill humans, but there are none of those left. So they're going to be leaving in the rocket ship, the, the giant robot rocket ship that they've been building this entire time. The end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I am fascinated with this miniseries. <laughs> well, so when I handed it over to you, I I said it's like I don't I don't think it's good. Yeah. 
but that doesn't mean there's nothing here. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's a lot of like clunkiness. I don't think that this is what Bill Mantlo spent like his most intensive attention on. Right. As he was writing comic books, I think he, you know, got this done on the side while he was probably more focused on some of those recognizable known characters. Yeah. But there's also like there is something here. Uh-huh. And so it is it is fascinating in that way. Yeah, and um I'm not sure that it's entirely successful in what it's trying to do, but I think it is getting at some interesting ideas. Uh, does the metaphor always work? No. Uh, but does it leave you kind of like in awe of like the audaciousness of just going so big? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, definitely. And I want to shout out Mike Mignola's art. Um, we've covered his with Sledgehammer 44 and and Hellboy at least once. Maybe we've done two episodes in Hellboy. I can't even remember now uh, at this point. But we've done Mike Mignola's art, which is very stylized today. Like if you say Mike Mignola art, there is an image that anyone who's familiar with it will be conjured of uh, a simplistic blockiness, heavy on shadows, mm-hmm. um, almost abstracted. Uh, and, and when I say simple, it's also like, I, I think surprisingly complex. I'm not trying to knock it when I say simple, but it's um, like understated in a lot of the, the detail work that he does. This is not that at all. This is the Marvel house style of the 1980s. And it's fascinating to see Mike Manolo's artwork. Um, that is not Hellboy at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 good. The, like the artwork is is good, but it's also not Mike Mignola as as we would think of him. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so so I want to recognize that. And uh, I think Mantlo is there's so many different ways that you could approach what seems to be some of the metaphors the the, like the themes that are being developed uh within this is this a commentary about like pharmaceutical companies price gouging in part yes (laughs) i think i think so uh and and the lack of proper mental health care again maybe a little clumsy at times in how it portrays that i think that's definitely something that's being explored in here Mm -hmm. i I think there's stuff about the american healthcare system but also our obsession with entertainment uh and uh capitalism and And like entertainment instead of betterment Yes. You know, Mm -hmm. like, like entertainment as, as a distraction instead of addressing a cultural need, a, like a societal functional, like, Hey, we have issues that, that need attention and need investment and need thought and need dealing with, but instead we can distract and divert Mm -hmm. and, 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 and and delay for generations. Kind of of the bread and circuses style of, Mm -hmm. uh, of control that's being kept on here. And, I mean, working with Marvel Comics and at times with DC, Bill Mantlo, creating a world in which there's two warring companies that are offering largely the same product but are at complete odds with each other and trying to claim full market share. Oh, you're you're, you're, you're okay. So, so which one is the uh, <laughs> is the mayhem mechanics, and which one is the what divine industry? I can't remember what it was called. Yeah, I, I can't remember. I, I'm not saying that there's a one to one ratio, but yeah, I, yeah. Who's who's the snake and who's the mole? Who's, yeah. who's the who's the who's the snake and who's the uh, the subterranean critter? Who's who's making the the psycho robot clowns and who's making the red breath mist? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I don't think that you can find a one to one, but I think that does feel like a little bit of commentary about the industry that he's working in and is starting to get frustrated in to the point that he's going to start taking law school classes at night to go find another career. Jo- Joseph is rocket raccoon image comics. Uh, well, that doesn't exist yet. So no, <laughs> is he, is he anticipating <laughs> the future in which there's a new threat and Marvel and DC have to join forces Unite to make sure against. that they, <laughs> um, no, I think, I think there's, I I am really impressed with how many ideas are here in, Mm -hmm. in like I, like I said, you know, this is almost certainly not something that could have been his, his foremost attention at any, at any time that he was writing, he was probably writing three or four different things. And this is probably not the thing that he was most focused on, but the ideas are all in there and, Mm -hmm. and he's putting, you know, thought into these things. I, I remember reading it. And I was like, I'm getting a lot of star Wars prequels out of this by yeah. making a war out of, you know, economic dynamics and, 
Yeah, it, it's almost like the discussion about the, like the uh, the market share. It's almost like the trade routes uh, mm-hmm. in in Phantom Menace, right? Was like, is this something any like your average reader coming to a superhero comic is going to be excited about? Is this what any kid watching Star Wars would be excited about? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and and it's super different from anything right now. And also, I mean, we're doing this episode because there's going to be another Guardians of the Galaxy. We thought it might be fun to go talk about Rocket Raccoon. Neither of us, I had never read this miniseries. Did you read it before? No, I've had it for a long time because I got into the the modern Guardians of the Galaxy and everything. And at some point, I had the chance to pick it up. And, and I was just like, oh, hey, it's Rocket Raccoon. Like, I read Rocket Raccoon stuff all the time now. And so uh-huh. I had these four issues for several years from from picking him up probably on a free comic book day and just like going through bins and being like yeah. well they've got all four issues here why don't i grab them yeah um and that was but this and is that not the been, rocket that we know today uh, yeah, in it, comics or in film yeah that would have been years before even the idea that's like oh yeah they're gonna make a guardians of the galaxy movie and rocket raccoon is gonna be you know a, a big star and then 10 years later they're gonna make a third one and lila's gonna show up Yes, uh, the previews for Rocket or Guardians of the Galaxy three do definitely show us Lila, uh, rockets. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, again, like the most alluring creature in all of Half World, <laughs> where there are going to be four suitors at various points of this, some of which are motivated by mercenary concerns about wealth and mm-hmm. uh, market share, and well, uh, mo- most of which, yeah. Uh, but it does seem like none of them are like repulsed by her in any way. Also, <laughs> uh, yeah. So it's but, it's but, but, just like a crazy of, evolution. Of, I mean, you've read far more of the Cosmic Marvel than I have. Mm-hmm. The version that exists in the comics today largely matches like the portrayal that's in the Marvel films, right? Essentially, yeah. When he got obsessed, smart, uh, you know, wisecracking all the time, uh, mm-hmm. and a little bit selfish and self-absorbed, and not as concerned about the the I'd group dynamic s- or group whole, right? I'd say the selfishness is. I think a little more movie than than okay. comic. I think when so when they put together the new Guardians of the Galaxy team, it's with Star Lord, which is uh, I'd say a more different interpretation mm-hmm. in the movies than than in the comics. Um, the the Chris Pratt version of Star Lord is is very much not what I had gotten used to reading. Right. Um, I'd say Rocky Raccoon was harsher, rough around the edges, and gun obsessed. But not as much selfish. I think okay. he was just rough. Okay. Um, and and so I think there's a lot of consistencies that okay. they do have in the in the movie too. That that more modern Rocket Raccoon. Not a lot from this Rocket Raccoon. That's what I was gonna say. This is a different character. Like than... nothing about gun focus. He is he's not particularly rough. Like he's he is the hero. He is a like swashbuckling positive do it because it's right kind of hero yeah he's earnestly good (laughs) in this where like several times he says like our our role is to to help the loonies as they're called Mm -hmm. in this text uh and he is appalled at the selfishness of divine and jetson jakes yeah how, Um, how could you betray our our mission our objective how could you violate what we are meant for. And so he, he, he is literally like a law officer on this planet. Yeah. A law, uh, lawful good. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And, and that is not what we get on screen. <laughs> Guardians of the galaxy. He is yeah. chaotic, neutral to chaotic evil. Uh, I'd say chaotic, neutral to chaotic. Good. Yeah. I mean, but when he's obsessed with like going and stealing people's like robotic limbs though, like then you're heading towards chaotic. Evil. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess it may be scene to scene. He's, he's somewhere on the chaotic mm-hmm. spectrum from and scene I, to scene. I think one of the things, well, I, I mean, this would get like deeper into the movie is uh, think about somebody who, and, and, and like, I kind of want to approach the movie version like this now is that I think, okay, at some point rocket raccoon was kind of in this lawful good territory. Like he was watching out for other people and is like, my mission is to, is to take care of people. And if he really loses that, or if he really fails at that, you can see him turn into that movie version, the more, mm-hmm. you know, self-interested uh, criminal and, and mercenary um, yeah. character. And so it's like, okay, if, if like, if you have this story that we have right here, 
but it goes bad and he really fails and capitalism mm-hmm. wins out. Right. Then you could see a, a like a hard turn far into, more cynical into the cynical version. Yes. Yeah. I think cynical is maybe uh, what's missing or, or a distinct difference between this version of rocket and the, and the film version. And I, I mean, the film does absolutely every, every time rocket is a key part of a story they want to remind you that he does have heart and mm-hmm. um that there's more nuance there than just the facade that he is projecting they they, they like highlight that this is in in some way like a uh, a barrier that he's putting up um you know all of the sarcasm and and uh some of the performative parts of, of the personality that we get and so they remind you that there's more depth there it seems like from the trailer and from some of the comments i've heard the third guardians of the galaxy film is really going to be a rocket story um mm-hmm. And highlight a lot of, uh, I mean, so that I mean, they've got other threads. Obviously, Star Lord is going to be looking for Gamora. Uh, that that's going to be dealt with, and we know Adam Warlock's being introduced. So there's going to be a lot there, but also just the fact that we see Lila in in the trailer says they're going to be doing some stuff with Rocket. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and the in the trailer includes film. like Baby Rocket, and so it's like, okay, we're going to get the story of his experimentation process, mm-hmm. which is, you know, like they cast it in in the movies. It's like this is not a good thing. Yeah, this is tragic. That, that uh, yeah, in, in those this in this miniseries, cap- it's really like one panel. Like the robots made us smart. That's it. Yeah, they like. I think there's a, an implica- implication of like, okay, we've been manipulated into this, but we are not horrified by that experience. Yeah, there's I, no moral um, quandary or ethical concerns that are being raised. It a little bit. I mean, it reminds me of Beta Ray Bill. From mm-hmm. from the eighties, and it's like, okay, what's his what's his story? Well, he was you know genetically manipulated and and altered and and you know turned into a monster to take care of his people, and we have a, kind of a similar thing going on here, but without the the horrific sacrifice and you know and, the, and the self the, uh, contemplation. Yes, exactly. That's a, that's exactly what I was about to say about Peter Rebell. He is, uh, you know, inward looking uh, a lot and and like pondering in existential ways about what he has become. We don't have that for this version of Rocket. It seems like we're going to be getting that for the film version of Rocket soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I'd say in the comic books in general, Rocket is a, a lot more laissez-faire about you know his history and everything. It's like eh, that's how I am. I'm not. You know, the, I think the movie digs into the the angst of it. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see uh, how that all plays out. Um, I think what is the like more modern interpretation of Rocket of the last 15 years or so and the film version is probably as far as like a protagonist, a stronger character, more interesting uh, mm-hmm. and, and more depth there than what we get in this version, which uh, in some ways is he, he's fairly flat and uh if he wasn't like the body of a raccoon he's <laughs> a raccoon doing these things it wouldn't even be that visually interesting of <laughs> what we get uh but that juxtaposition of you know the raccoon face and everything uh you know uh, getting into these action scenes it works in this well enough but adding in some of those concerns and that backstory and uh the the introspection uh i think is going to make a stronger character Mm-hmm. I I agree. He he comes off as kind of one dimensional and uh and like he's not as fun. I mean, you you sent me a panel uh earlier <laughs> as you were reading it uh-huh. of Judson Jake. I think Judson Jake probably shines the most as just a character on the page. Right. You want to know what voice I had in my head for Judson Jake? Tell me what voice you had. It was uh Jack Black going full ham. Yeah, that would be perfect for that. Yeah. <laughs> like not a subtle, not trying any shred of subtlety or nuance, mm-hmm. just full on monologuing bombastic supervillain, but Jack Black delivering it. And and so you sent me a, a couple panels because at one point, Jetson Jake is in conversation with the narration. And, and it only happens once. So it's not like this is a full postmodern comic uh, where like we're breaking down the walls. We're acknowledging the the panels. Uh, characters know they mm-hmm. they have thought balloons versus were balloons or things like that. That's not this comic at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a few weeks ago, we talked about George of the Jungle and uh, there's a narration. And sometimes the narration interacts with the with the characters, not most of the time. But it was kind of one of those moments where the narration is happening. And then Judson Jake is just 
so extreme in that moment that he's like, because I am in this state, I can now engage with the narration. Like I like he's reached a higher plane <laughs> of of you know mental capacity in this moment. You know, he's just so extra yeah. that it's like, I'm going to interact with this narration. And you can almost picture the narration being like, no, don't talk to me again. <laughs> Yes. So the, the way it works is uh, we get a panel. Uh, this is when Rocket and Wall are uh, going to confront Jets and Jakes for the first time. And uh, we get a shocked panel. Great Mike Mignola art. Oh, it's a, a shocked really, Rocket. really good, like full face in the And panel. there's the narration that says he'd expected the proprietor of the establishment to have some sort of surprise prepared for him. And then we get it's not quite a, a page turn, but it's uh, it's uh, from the bottom of the left side hand page to yeah. the top of the right hand in a in uh, like a one third page splash of uh, just weird robot clowns and animals. And it says, but he wasn't expecting the psycho circus in capital letters. And at the center of the panel is Judson. And he just says, then again, who could? And it's like, who is he talking to? <laughs> he clearly just responded to the narration box, which is not meant to be read as diegetic to the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the characters don't interact with that stuff in most cases. Yeah. Like, like in comics, Deadpool and ambush bug, are the characters that do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but, but traditional comics, the, the narration box is present, but it is not interacted with. Yeah. And that's I, the only time it happens in this story. Uh, and so it's just like a weird moment, but I think like Jetson Jake, it just has a, a vibe and the way he's delivering the words where, yeah, it's, I mean, he's, he's like openly evil, just like divine, but I like Jetson Jake so much more than I like divine. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, can we talk a little bit more about Mike Vignola's art just in understanding? I was like, he just knows how to make comic book pages. I think, yeah, like I think his pages on this are better than his panels on this because like there's a good flow to the pages and sometimes, and I don't know like where a comic book artist learns this, but there's some times where he, like if you flip through them, you'll see a few spots where he breaks the the panel where like the characters arms and legs are extending outside of the panel, but it's not all the time. Yeah. And it's something that you'd probably read subconsciously, but it, it creates more movement or more intensity or something. Mm-hmm. And it's a great trick that I'm just like, okay, so he's early on in his career. He knows how to do this at the right time. It's just really good pages. Yeah, and um, a lot of times uh, is, in modern comics, it's sometimes you point out that there are artists who have been hired because they can draw a splash page, but they don't know how to tell the story. Um, you know, where they can draw like the most beautiful image of Batman over a Gotham City night, and mm-hmm. you see it uh, on like their Instagram page or, or on Twitter or wherever, and you're like, oh, I want this person to draw in comics because look at that, it's stunning, but they can't actually do the flow of the story at first it's, it's uh, sometimes a learned skill sometimes they need a, a steady hand of an editor they might need very specific page layouts for coming from the writer but it's not something that's intuitive to them it feels like everything is just happening naturally with mike mignola uh when you when you look at these these panels and i i mean i don't know how specific the script was from bill mantlo that needs to be acknowledged mm-hmm. but just knowing where mike mignola goes pretty soon hereafter um it seems like he's he's coming in with a lot of talent for the visual dynamic of storytelling of, like you said, panel out, moving the eye through the pages, uh, giving you the right moments of dynamism uh, in, mm-hmm. in the art and giving you those impact shots. So like where this psycho circus uh, appears, um, he's it, it just feels not like a first time effort <laughs> for mm-hmm. an artist. It feels like someone and, who has mastered the craft already. And and. One thing that I always try to to look for when I'm trying to break down like comic book art and everything is I try to visualize, okay, from the artist perspective, where's the camera? You know, mm-hmm. if, they, if they were taking a picture of this and I think some, some people are really good at moving that around and some people get kind of locked in. And I think Mike Mignola in this is really good at moving it around. If we're just thinking about the short scene at the stream at the beginning of the first issue, mm-hmm. Rocket Raccoon and Lila and Walrus are at a stream and you get, you know, an angle over here with, with rocket. And then you're up at the top of the waterfall with Lila. And then you're turned around as the Keystone cops come in and then you're under the water with rocket. And it's like, okay, the camera is like, he's not pivoting from one stationary spot. 
Yeah. It's really jumping, you know, 20 feet and then switching angles and turning another direction. But I never lose my sense of where am I in relationship? Like I can picture from any of those, like, well, Walrus is going to be over here and the waterfall is now behind me. Right. And, and, but he does it in a way that you never get lost sometimes when artists are moving it around. In, in filmmaking, they call it the rule of 180, where like you, you need to keep the audience oriented along a 180 axis. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, what you're describing, we do see some like over the shoulder, but he still gives you enough in the foreground that you still understand the point of view that you're being given. Um, sometimes artists, when they get a little too dynamic, you lose a sense of the space. Uh, and it's really hard for a reader to remain oriented in like the physicality of. Uh, you know, the space that's being created whole cloth on page, right? You know, mm-hmm. there's nothing actually there. <laughs> These are all flat images. And he does a really good job of keeping the reader feeling uh, like they know exactly where all these characters are at all times, where these points of view are coming from. Um, and it's it's a real strength uh, of of very early work for Mike McGinola. Yeah, I, I, like I'm just thinking back to that that stream sequence of like, I feel like I saw, I, I like I feel like I can picture more than 180 degrees. I feel like I can picture, you know, two thirds or three quarters of what that scene looks like because of how things kept moving around. Yeah. All right, Andrew, do you have any final thoughts on this miniseries rocket raccoon? I, I like, I don't know what my final thoughts are. I'm mm-hmm. glad I read it. Yeah. I don't think this is one of the greatest comic stories ever written or drawn, but by the end of it, I liked it a lot. I liked it a lot more at the end than how I started it. Yeah. Reading the first issue, I was a bit lost. I'm like, what mm-hmm. in the world is this? It felt like um, almost a pastiche of references and um, like absurdist ideas for the sake of absurdist ideas that I wasn't feeling a cohesive story coming out of. Mm-hmm. Um, by the end, I think they got me far enough along that I appreciate it. And I'm still thinking about it. I think I will still think about it for a while, but I also don't know that they 100% stuck the landing in part because of that. That start was like, if I handed that first issue to a lot of people, I don't think they'd have any interest in picking Mm -hmm. up a second issue. It was Um, hard for me to like choose to get into the second issue, but by the third and fourth, I was like, okay, yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. I had a very similar experience to that. Yeah. So I think somebody could take this whole thing and, 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 kind of like redo it and tighten some things up and, and clarify some things earlier on and establish the, the exposition in the right places uh, or, or, or in different places mm-hmm. to make it work a little bit better from and start maybe to finish. Just some of the portrayals of the quote unquote. Well, here. yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I think you could, you could take this and you could make something that people would look at really fondly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I think it's, I, I think this feels kind of first draft. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, but, um, but there's a lot of good worthwhile stuff in this first draft to take. And I think you can make a really good second draft. And like you said, uh, by the, by the time you get to the end, I think you appreciate it a lot more. There was a note at the end of the first issue from the editor. And I can't remember the editor's name off the top of my head. And I left the issues back at my office, but he, he says, um, Bill Mantlow has been talking about wanting to do a story about rocket ever since he created the character and uh, did a one-off in an incredible Hulk story. He's wanted to do a bigger story with rocket and he handed me a full story outline and I greenlit it. And I think like, if you can see that shape of the whole story in this, in, in an outline where you see like the end and, and how some of these ideas come together, mm-hmm. that makes sense. If he had handed in like a script for the first issue, I don't know that it would have been greenlit. I agree. Yeah. Uh, but, but I'm glad it got made. I, I mean, I'm super into the, 2000s cosmic marvel stuff and rocket raccoon is a major figure in that i i mean i probably have as much rocket raccoon in my collection as any character oh you know there's probably as many things that have rocket raccoon in them as as anybody else Mm -hmm. and i mean it is fascinating to me that this fairly obscure character again with like 10 issues in 20 years uh is going to end up being a linchpin for massive pop culture products. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I think that's not only is that interesting for this character, but it says something about, um, you know, the, the way intellectual property like comes and goes and gets recycled and then reimagined. Um, there's probably been some good ideas that maybe just didn't quite break out that if someone else could like go and revisit and reimagine, 
you know, it could have the chance, which I know there are complaints about like Hollywood never has any original ideas. All they do is remakes, <laughs> retreads. But sometimes you might stumble upon a billion dollar franchise <laughs> if you go and reimagine something that was kind of there and, you know, ne- never really took off. But you're like, ah, you know, there's a seed there that I keep thinking about. I'm going to go back and revisit it and mm-hmm. put my own spin on it. All right. Well, listeners, thank you for joining us uh, for this episode about Rocket Raccoon. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Scott Hoffty, who composed our theme music. Uh, thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. Okay, we should be good. Okay, shall we go ahead and just jump in?